somebody out of a spaceship to sell your soda, people are going to care about. You know, you're competing with whatever crazy Kanye West did recently. You know, like so, like in when we have a certain amount of attention and their eyes are drawn to things that the big media conglomerates kind of train your eyes to go to. So, I think it really behooves the content marketing professional wherever you are in in the 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 chain to really pay attention to what's going on in the world, what's really popular. Like, why is the Jake Paul versus? Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Excited this week to have my good friend Chad Lott back on the show. Chad, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a while since we have talked on the phone or even on the podcast. I think it's, we mentioned a second ago, it's been like four or five years since we've done any sort of podcasting stuff together. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like 500 episodes ago. So uh, a lot's changed since you were on the show last. You were at Whole Foods back then. Now you've done three startups. Tell us about where you're at now. Tell us about High Road. Yeah, so High Road is it's an insurance startup that is uh, part of the State Farm family, and we're you know based out of San Francisco, and we have an office in Rhode Island, and it's uh, you know very much in the like the new school, like using technology to improve your lives and make the product better sort of world. So you know we have an app that you can drive with. You, you turn it on when you're driving, and it set it gives you uh, data on how well you're driving, so it can tell with the accelerometer if you're like braking hard, driving speed limit, and it gives you tips. And if you're a, a pretty normal, relaxed driver, you get a, a discount, which is like the, you know, with the whole BJ Fogg, the reward, you know, like you get the reward. And it's been a great forge to work for. I mean, it's like really, you just hired super high level fun people to work with. So it's, it's the best part job I've had in my career so far. Um, so for people who don't know about BJ Fogg, who I have to credit you for turning me on to, can you talk a little bit about his work at Stanford and why you got so interested in him? Sure. Yeah. You know, like I'm a lifelong student of just behavior change and just old school self-help books or, you know, whether any sort of personal development type of stuff. And he really pioneered this idea of like making tiny changes. I think his book is even called tiny changes or tiny habits or something like that. So his idea is like, if you wanted to do 20 push-ups every day, well, you might not be ready for that. So why don't you start with one push-up every day and you build these like chains and over time you develop a habit so you can do these and you can really apply it to anything if you want to floss you could say i'm going to just floss two teeth or if you want to like start walking more you're like i'm going to walk to the end of the block and back but you just do it constantly until habits build and what always happens is you do more like if your goal is like to do two push-ups you're probably going to do five if you can and, and like i don't know anybody who just does two teeth when they're flossing and just doesn't keep going you know so but by setting the bar very low you you kind of like trick yourself into showing up and i mean you know with anything like 99 percent of everything is just showing up and and then just being consistent and so you don't have to be crazy but you just you know set some little goals and keep going and as you go you become like a more powerful habit setter a more powerful goal setter and you can take on really big big projects so I'm interested, um, 
you know, his the Stanford Persuasive Technology Lab just sounds cool. I think both of you and I wish we were patient enough to go back to school and go there. Totally. But can you give us some examples of kind of stuff you built in the back end or how how your app tries to help people? Yeah. So the 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 one I'm working on now, you know, it just really it gives you scores, and we were we're actually in the middle of this real crazy like web. Uh, or sorry, app redesign right now. So that I, who knows when it'll actually see the light of day because insurance is super regulated. So anything you do has to go through all these legal steps. So it's kind, of, it's kind of very different than the normal startup world where you just make something, throw it out the door and hope for the best. Everything here gets, is where I'm at now is really buttoned down before it goes out. So, you know, we're, we're working on all kinds of ideas about like, you know, badges or how rewards show up or what's the frequency of, you know, how many times you want to touch the user or nudge them to do things. That's it. That's one of BJ Fogg's other things is you have these like triggers and nudges where it's like, you know, say you were going to do a bunch of pull-ups. Well, every time I walk past the pull-up bar, I do one pull-up and then two pull-ups. So, so a lot of the app design is using these like little nudges and triggers. And, and there's a lot of people who are... <sighs> like maybe a little bit against BJ Fogg's technology lab because he's pretty much taught all these startup companies how to gamify all their things and make them super addictive. So like, oh, so this technology can be used for evil too. And if you want to know what that looks like, just open up Instagram or Facebook. <laughs> Did you see the social dilemma? Yeah. And I've also read like, there's a really great book by a woman named Shoshana Zuboff called The Age of, the Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And it's like a big 600-page brick, but she's an excellent writer. And I think it's going to go down as like the omnivore's dilemma of data. Like, I mean, just the way she explains the ethical problems and how people are not really stepping up to do the right thing is, is pretty, pretty interesting. You know, first, I have to start with, thank you so much for uh, the referral to having Aaron on the show. Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> like, that guy rules. I love Red Bull so much that like, what's funny is I don't drink the drink, but I love their content so much. You know, I, I've always enjoyed our conversations, which are mostly about books, but the, I think the second thing we talk most about is content marketing. I think you're my only friend with a master's degree in rhetoric. <laughs> well, I just have an undergraduate degree. Okay. Undergraduate. Yeah. yeah but a, an okay. undergraduate degree in rhetoric is like a master's degree in uh, other lesser disciplines, I guess. <laughs> I did so, do an um, honor. Yeah, I did an honors thesis too. I guess so that kind of counts. But it was all about the Terminator, <laughs> so I don't know how much it counts. Um, yeah, right. So I'm interested. You know, obviously you you did a lot of writing at Whole Foods. I'm interested. You know, doing these different startups out in the Bay Area. Kind of how your thoughts on content has evolved, and kind of what you're what you're most excited about lately. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I always really try to get across to people is that your content isn't just out there competing with your immediate competitor. It's out there competing with the rest of the world. And that's that's what Red Bull gets really, really right. Is like, you know, your your five hundred word article on digital asset management technologies, no one is going to care about that at all. But but dropping somebody out of a spaceship to sell your soda, people are going to care about. You know, you're competing with whatever crazy Kanye West did recently. You know, like, so, like, in people only have a certain amount of attention and their eyes are drawn to things that the big media conglomerates kind of train your eyes to go to. So I think it really behooves the content marketing professional wherever you are in, in the, the 
the chain to really pay attention to what's going on in the world what's really popular like why is the jake paul versus uh whatever that what? wrestler guy's name Mayweather. Uh, oh, oh no the, logan paul fought mayweather yeah so why is the logan paul mayweather fight so compelling like it might not be your thing you might not care about youtubers or boxers but that was a huge event like why you know and so i think thinking about your brand's content like living in an ecosystem of actually interesting stuff is a really really great place to start and you know then part of that like what's interesting is you just really have to know more about your audience you know like think about become audience obsessed and think about like you know, what are the people who are commenting on your stories would, would go on their profiles and look around and see the stuff they post, you know, like you, you could discover all kinds of things like that. Yeah. Um, it's funny because Aaron and I were talking about this on the show, how like so many, so many companies, like they hear content marketing is a good thing to do, but they're not willing to like really change the organization to benefit mm-hmm. from it. They're like, you know, they get some like 21 year old intern to make sure that she gets out enough Facebook posts this week or that he's he's done enough posts on LinkedIn or something without measuring like, is it working? They measure how much we put out of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so like on one hand, like you do have to put out a lot, you know, like putting out like one blog post a month or like never firing up your, your social media. Like, I mean, the, the algorithms that these companies use, it's just going to work against you. They reward like volume. So you should definitely have built in your organization the ability to put out some sort of volume. But, you know, can you streamline the process? You know, can you put out five? This is something I learned from your podcast. Like, I remember we had this debate over whether or not splitting episodes up is a good idea. Because when I listen to podcasts, I like to go deep and listen to like two hours. You're like, no, nah, man, that's not how it works. And you were right. You know, I continue to do it the way I do it. But like for a company, I wouldn't do that way. I would split things up. And, and so I think like uh, consistent scheduling is really important. And then, you know, and, and like some of the old school, not even that old school, but the older school content marketing concerns about SEO and you know ranking and things like that that's still live so you still have to consider all that stuff so it it gets ever more complicated every year i think you know we'll probably enter an age where everyone has a video person you know because it's getting to the point where just i barely read articles if i want to learn how to change the windshield wiper blades of my wife's audi i don't go look up the audi website i go look up some like 14 year old kid that does it on youtube you know and i think that's like really how people are consuming content and brands need to think about that. And again, like back to Aaron, that that's one thing Red Bull got really right. Like, I mean, I don't even know if Red Bull ever had a blog, but I've seen Red Bull cars jump off the stuff like a lot. <laughs> so. Yeah. So for anybody listening who is saying, man, I do want up my game. Like I want our stuff. I want our stuff not to compete with our competitors, terrible content marketing. I want to compete with the real media. What are some principles? What are some things for people who want to up their game? Well, I think whatever you're putting out, it should really excite you. And a good thing to do is like, you know, say say you have a, a bird seed company, right? Just something pretty boring. You know, think about, just sit down and brainstorm every single topic you could think of. Like just, you know, do bird, you, it, you do two things. You look at the questions that people always have 
and you look at like how your product or whatever shows up in the world like is there a movie where birdseed played a, a role or something like that like go look at search terms look at what comes up in google or you know look at amazon one star reviews are awesome for similar products like i always like to go look and see like what the bad reviews are for competitors because like okay can you solve that person's problem like if i mean i don't really know much about birds but like if birds your bird if the problem with the competitor was that your their bird seed gave you bird diarrhea you might be a diarrhea free bird seed you know or, or <laughs> something silly like that so like you get those so when i write or like when i write something i i try to think about like what are the main points I want to get across? And then is there an interesting way for me to get them across? Can I nest that inside something else? Like, you know, for the Red Bull example, it's like, you know, Red Bull Gymkhana, like it's awesome car racing on weird streets, but it's all about energy and movement. It, it is interesting just that, you know, I, I do think there's such a temptation for people to say, I, I'm not in an industry as exciting as that. Our industry is boring and then let ourselves off the hook, mm -hmm. right? But like, you know, when you think about, you think about some, any other drink, Orange Crush, do you automatically think that's an exciting industry? No. <laughs> Pouring soft drinks, that's inherently exciting, right? They, they figured out what to do about it. They figured out like, my other favorite one is Bloomberg. Like they, they didn't just do content marketing, like they became the media, right? And they intentionally talk about the kind of stories that their ideal customers care about. And it's all brought to you by Bloomberg so that when the Bloomberg terminal salesman shows up and wants another 25 grand a year, like nobody's like, now who's Bloomberg? What, what, you guys are a company? Nobody has yeah. that question, right? I mean, if you have it within you, developing an editorial point of view is totally valid. I mean, like I, I used to think about this. This used to drive me crazy at Whole Foods because back in the day, the Whole Foods blog was a really well-trafficked, well-respected food blog. Like they did zero SEO work, work at all. And it was consistently top ranked for anything you'd want to look up. And we need to act like the character in the, De the Anna Wintour character in the Devil Wears Prada. Like we don't wait for you to tell us what's cool. We tell you what's cool. And if you have enough juice or authority, you can, you know, like that whole, there's a, in the Devil Wears Prada, there's the, that scene that's about the color cerulean blue and the interns kind of like crapping on the idea that, oh, it's just a blue. And they're like, no, like everything that you think is your idea was chosen for you by like elite tastemakers. And that's the facts for pretty much anything that you're into. Like you can just do a little bit of digging and find out that your opinion is likely received on it. It might be a good opinion. It might match your values, but you probably didn't come up with it. And so if you're the leader in your field you can do that too. You know, you make a stand, like just say what's important, say what you think is important. Yeah. Well, I want to hear more about this idea. You, you previewed for me briefly about thinking about it more like a sitcom or like an ongoing series. Yeah. So uh, over the, the COVID times, I don't watch a lot of television. I never have. I've never really enjoyed TV too much, but uh, I had been reading a bunch of David Foster Wallace, who if like you, if you're the type of person that's ever dated somebody that's into David Foster Wallace, you know how intolerable the next portion of this conversation is going to be. But he wrote this great essay about television and sitcoms and how they work culturally. And I was like, man, it's interesting. And so it made me think about how popular they are. And so I started thinking about, well, why are they so popular? So I started watching a couple of them. And the two that I really focused, there's three that I really got into. And I'm not counting stuff like The Wire or True Detective, which are basically like long movies. 
I, I mean like like straight up boring 22 minute network television. So the two I really like are Parks and Rec and Community. And I think what what Parks and Rec and Community do really well is they have this revolving cast of voices that sort of rep, you know you can so it appeals to a whole bunch of different people. So what might this look like for a blog? So you have your blog identity. Maybe you have different bylines that have slightly different personalities. Where you have like a you know a, a person who you know you're writing about insurance, but they're really into fitness, so they're going to write about summer stuff to do and how to prepare your car. Or you might have a really health-conscious person, and so you have these characters. You might even think of it as a cast, where you have five voices that are sort of going to line up and appeal with your with more with your like your brand personas. And brand personas are always kind of like full of it, I think, because it's usually people they never talk to customers; they just write out what they think their brand personas are going to be, their customer personas. And they're all pretty generic. They don't really tell you very much. So instead, you could take those and like turn them around and say, okay, well, if we're going to have these different voices, and then over time, you could you always come back to the familiar touch points that they are. Like in community, you know, Ahmed is going to be super obsessed with television and is going to have like a really weird take on something, or that Joel McHale's character is going to you know, be a wise cracker or something like that. So you can have those touch points and that, that repetition. So the other portion of it is repetition. So you're just constantly calling back to other stuff. Like I, I, people really love Easter eggs. Like you look at the Marvel films and all the new Star Wars films and TV shows, it's all callbacks to super nostalgic stuff. And you can do the same thing for your brand. And then another one is for, and this comes from more community, the guy who, who wrote community, he also wrote Rick and Morty, or writes Rick and Morty rather, this guy Dan Harmon, and he's really famous for having basically taken the Joseph Campbell story wheel and turned it into the Dan Harmon story circle. And I think he's doing like a really good job of applying, so every single episode will follow these basically eight steps, and each character will have eight steps in it, but your blog post can do that too, so it's like... You know, when the characters start off, they're kind of in a comfort zone. And then the next step is they are sort of intrigued by something they want. And then because they want the thing, they enter an unfamiliar territory. And then they have to adapt to it. And then they kind of get what they wanted. But then there's a heavy price to pay. And then they return back to, like, the familiar situation sort of having been changed. And we use that story structure to develop our new app at High Road, which is, I don't know anybody who's done it. Maybe they have. But we found that... That's, that story structure is so appealing to the human brain that when you use it, you're sort of able to like tap into some sort of like hardwired like Jungian archetype stuff. And so, so I've been experimenting a lot with that lately, and it seems yeah. to be going pretty well. I mean, it, if I was going to write a content, a corny content marketing book, that might be that might be it. You know, it's interesting you bring all that up because I think mostly about content marketing, like this show of like you know, how can we make this so popular that we can put our own ads for our investment fund and send people over to Greystoke Investments and look at our cash flow deals buying commercial real estate with us, right? And I think like the obvious answer is, oh, well, everything needs to be about real estate. And it's not true. Look They're at Apple, look at not. Bloomberg, yeah. look at all these people. Like there's no reason not to bring up real estate and to bring up investing. And I can't help but talk about Warren Buffett because I'm obsessed with him. But it doesn't just have to be about that, right? It doesn't, yeah, because part of it, like, you're trying to get people's attention anyway, anyhow. You know, you're competing with Kim Kardashian's butt, like, and whatever terrible thing Gavin Newsom did or whatever, you know. So it's like, I, I remember I, a couple companies ago, I, I wrote this piece about 
it was just about coffee, about how to brew different types of coffee. And my, my the, the, the woman who's a content editor, she's like, man, I just do not understand this at all. Like, why, why, why is this relevant? It doesn't hit any of our unique selling points or whatever. And I was like, it will, would, but everyone who reads this drinks coffee and you, you can just basically like, and you can even explain like in the piece, like, you know, how does this relate? Not really, but we're just really into this. And it, it's like when you meet somebody in the office, like if I climb, if I'm a rock climber and dude over engin- in engineering that I never work with is a rock climber. And we start talking about that. Well, maybe we come up with a cool idea where there's synthesis and we create something, a new product. I mean, that happens all the time in companies. So why wouldn't that happen between your brand and the customer? Yeah. Yeah. You don't well, want to get too uh, crazy or off topic, you know, but some stuff, especially huge stuff, like, you know, if you were a brand and didn't put out a, a Game of Thrones season ending post, like you probably missed out on some eyes. Well, we are back to splitting episodes sometimes. So wrapping up part one here, if people want to connect with you, is LinkedIn the best place or where's the best place? Yeah. You know, for pros at LinkedIn, I'm just Chad Lott on LinkedIn. And, you know, I have a horror movie podcast, which is kind of my little passion. So we, we take like a lot of the the more hardcore, weirder films and give them this sort of like academic philosophy, critical theory lens and look at them. So that's scary thoughts. And it's just on wherever you would go to get your podcast stuff. Love it. Okay, everybody, please tune in for part two.